0: Welcome to Odeon Capital Conversations on all things money and markets with Dick Bove and Matt Van Allstein. And here is your host, John Aiden Byrne.
1: On this episode of Odeon Capital Conversations, we look at unconfirmed reports coming out of China about a mass wave of layoffs in China, the biggest in over two decades. Among major US banks doing business in the country, Dick Beauvais has the details. Is this a political or business move by authorities in China? He'll share his thoughts. A key and widely watched indicator is at its lowest level since 2009. And is flashing recession in America as layoffs continue at many companies? We'll look at that. Dick Bove will break down the latest details from the Bank Loan Officer Survey. We'll look at the housing market, home affordability, mortgage rates, and monthly costs for homeowners in America. And we'll also look at inflation across the globe and see how the US stacks up. I'm with Dick Bove, Chief Financial Strategist at Odeon Capital Group. Matt van Alstine, Odeon co-founder and managing partner,
0: is off. And we'll be right back after this message. Current and future holdings are subject to risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published or reproduced in whole or in part. Information presented herein is for discussion and illustrative purposes only and is not a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Securities identified do not represent all of the securities purchased, sold, or recommended to clients. The views and opinions expressed by the Odeon Capital Group speaker are their own as of the date of the recording. Any such views are subject to change at any time based upon market or other conditions and Odeon Capital Group disclaims any responsibility to update such views. These views should not be relied on as investment advice, and because investment decisions are based on numerous factors, may not be relied on as an indication of trading intent on behalf of any Odeon Capital Group product. Neither Odeon Capital Group nor the speakers can be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.
1: Dick, welcome for episode 69. Matt is off. We've talked Endlessly on this podcast, uh, Main Street, Wall Street has been talking about recession, uh, pending recession, uh, speculating on a recession and nobody has quite gotten it right. There's a new report out, the Empire Manufacturing Index, which maybe finally offers us some clarity dick you've looked at it just in summary it's showing its fifth quarterly decline 42 points below where it was last year and the empire manufacturing index measures activity in new york state and it's at its lowest level since 2009 and shows a decrease in orders shipments and payrolls at factories it dropped to minus 31.8. What do you read into it? Is this signaling recession? Can we just isolate New York State out and look at this important index and say, yeah, maybe the economy is finally tipping towards that fabled recession? Well, I
2: mean, clearly uh, it is... And a recession indicator. I mean, basically, when you have the manufacturing of a large area like uh, that covered by the New York Federal Reserve, which is primarily New York State, but also the New York metropolitan area showing such a massive decline in uh, manufacturing activity, that, that that is that is recession. I mean, you, you, you can't ignore it. Now, the fact of the matter is that the services side of the economy is not showing that same type of a sharp decline, but if you take that report and you combine it with a, another report that was uh, released by the Federal Reserve itself, uh, which was looking at lending activities around the United States industry by industry, uh, y- you can see even if the recession is not upon us, people are acting as if it will occur. By that I mean what this, what these reports are showing, are that uh, you know companies have made the decision not to rebuild their inventories, and we saw that in the first quarter GDP, preliminary numbers, uh, and they made the decision not to add to their plant and equipment. They've made the decision not to fund the customer receivables, and and those decisions, you know, have a follow-through. And the follow-through is if, if they're not going to build their inventories, if they're not going to, you know, uh, increase the size of their plant, if they're not going to repair the trucks that need to be replaced, etc., if they're not going to do all of these things, which you would normally do in an expanding economy, they'll create a recession, right? In other words, you, you, if, if, if the decision is made by the people who own businesses that the risks are too great to to take on more debt or to expand, you know, with more people, or to add more facilities, if, if they made the decision that that's too risky, and they don't do it, then they'll create a recession. So I I think it's going to be pretty hard for the United States to avoid a recession at this point.
1: And there are other indicators out there. The Institute for Supply Management's measure of national manufacturing activity has contracted for six straight months we see these continuing layoffs in uh, the tech and professional services sector we spoke about linkedin last week cutting 716 jobs buzzfeed is cutting 15 percent of its staff and data from tech crunch notes that shopify is laying off 20 percent of its workforce or 2000 dropbox 500 amazon is shutting down its Halo Health division on top of previously announced layoffs, such as the eighteen thousand announced in January. So a lot of layoffs, um, uh, you know, among the, the um, high earner sector of the economy.
2: Well, yeah, and and we're seeing weakness showing up in the labor markets uh, in multiple fashions. Um, you know, I was asked the question, uh, you know, about, you know, the comments we made last week, how can you be so certain that labor is is easing off? And, you know, th- there are a series of numbers that you can look at. Number one, productivity has come down repeatedly for, for a number of quarters now. Number two, the uh, they call it the jolts number, the, the job openings, but the job opening number is it used to be, it was 12 million, uh, you know, last year, it's, uh, you know, between 8 and 9 million this year, the uh, people who are getting unemployment insurance, uh, that number had kept declining for, for multiple years, and it's now, you know, started to edge up. Uh, in, in the opposite direction the number of hours being worked the growth in wages versus the growth in, in you know the consumer uh, price index all of these numbers would indicate that you know there is a, an easing in the jobs market the manufacturing data from the uh, institute of uh, supply managers I think it's called mm-hmm. uh, whatever th- that that is showing a slowdown this you know Empire State thing showed you know n- not a slowdown but a drop you know a huge drop uh so you know i don't know why they don't declare that we're in a recession right now and, and the reason of course is because the definition is you need two down quarters of gdp to do that and we we haven't had two down quarters you know we're not seeing it yet in the official numbers but we are seeing it we are definitely seeing it and feeling it you know in in a whole bunch of different areas
1: And of course, we had a weak quarter um, in the early part of this year. And you've also done some reporting on the bank loan officer's survey. According to your notes, there's weaker demand in commercial and industrial lending and weaknesses in commercial real estate in consumer lending. More indicators.
2: Yeah, in other words, what happens here is the... uh the Federal Reserve uh, in, in New York goes out and asks, uh, well, th- this was the Federal Reserve in Washington, uh, goes out and asks people, you know, what, what are they doing? Are they are lending money? Are they, you know, what, what are your customers doing? What, what, what are you seeing happen out there? But what, what they're seeing out there is commercial real estate. You know, people don't want to, you know, build new buildings. They don't want to, uh, you know, increase the, the mortgages that they have uh, in, in the, the consumer sector credit card spending continues to be extraordinarily strong, and that's related to travel. You know, the Memorial Day weekend is showing up in a couple of weeks, and, you know, the expectation is that it'll be a very, very strong travel, uh, you know, weekend. Um, and, of course, it's followed by 4th of July very quickly after that, within five weeks, and so those numbers are remaining strong. But if you take a look at automobile activity, it had blipped upward, and it, it appears it's now starting to level out again and come down. Um, if you look at uh, home improvement spending, that seems to be coming down. Uh, the, the Home Depot numbers this morning—you know—we're not bad, but at least but what the home Depot management was saying was things are not going to be great over the next year uh, as far as, as far as they can see. Uh, and then of course you know we, we mentioned the manufacturing you know activity a, a moment ago. It, it's not looking very strong either. So um, I would say that but it's very hard to see you know how we would avoid a recession.
1: By the way, uh, jobs openings and labor turnover jolts. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, we're going to have quiz time here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The University of Michigan survey showed weakening consumer confidence. Also, it tumbled 9% in May from April. Just another sign of what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, well, what's kind of interesting is that... um all of all of these subsectors of the economy are showing this weakness creeping up and and, and, and showing up and and yet you know we haven't kind of raised the flag and okay this is a recession we got to stop increasing interest rates we got to start thinking about how to in- influence uh, economic growth uh, no 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 one's thinking of that yet because you know we still have all these positive numbers and while the stock market is down pretty strongly uh, at the moment that we're speaking uh, it, it's you know it's it's just been flattish. it hasn't reacted. Very negatively at all.
1: I was looking at your notes um, also on consumer lending, and you noted tougher credit standards by the retail banking sector. They're looking for higher FICO scores from from clients, um, lower debt limits, uh, just tougher credit scoring. So it's just harder to borrow money at banks. It's it's tightening. Yes,
2: yes. What you say is correct, John. I mean, basically, uh, if if you have credit cards now, don't be surprised if you get a note in the mail saying that your, you know, available credit has been reduced. Don't be surprised if you get a note saying that the rate on your account has, has been raised. Uh, don't be surprised if you're going after after a mortgage and the standard being 80% uh, 20 20% down 80% borrowed they may say well we now want 25% down 75% loans uh, or we're not going to give you mortgages uh, at all if you're looking for a jumbo mortgage w- which i think a lot of the people who listen to us uh, you know have uh, th- they're pulling back on even making those mortgages um the, the uh, failure of the First Republic Bank, you know, showed that those mortgages aren't really saleable in a rising interest rate environment, and therefore banks don't want to be stuck with them. Um, What we're seeing is at every level, other than, you know, the people with credit cards, every level of the economy, people saying, I don't want to lend money. If I'm going to lend you money, it's going to be against very tougher terms. I don't want to build anything. I don't want to take a risk of building something that's going to be empty. I don't want to put a lot of inventories on. I won't be able to sell those inventories. You know, I don't want to, uh, you know, if if we get away from, uh, you know, we go to housing a little bit. I, I I can't afford housing at the current prices. I'm not going to buy it. So if all these things are happening at the same time, I don't know, again, how we avoid, you know, a, a major downturn.
1: I mean, we've all time credit card debt of 930 billion. I mean, that's jaw dropping. Can that go much higher at these higher interest rates?
2: Yeah, well, you have to take it as a percentage of income. In other words, it's not jaw dropping as a percentage of income. But we are, you know, your, your basic point is correct. I mean, what we're seeing is this tremendous increase in loan losses now showing up in the credit card sector. In other words, um, uh, you know, a year or so ago, you know, Capital One, one of the biggest and best credit card companies in the country, had loan losses of less than 2%. And in the month that just ended, uh, their loan losses were over 4%, closing in on 5%. And every every lender is is in the same position. Ally Financial, w- which lends a lot of money on cars, well, they're one of the biggest car lenders in the world. Uh, and and they also have a a, a tiny credit card operation, they're seeing the loan losses jump up significantly. You know, the consumer keeps spending, but the debt, as you indicated, is at a level that a lot of them cannot afford, and we are seeing a meaningful increase in loan losses. It's just begun. It's not something that's just ending.
1: So a recession is more likely now than it was um, a quarter ago. In your view, is there a higher likelihood than there was, let's say, earlier this year?
2: I, well, as I say, we're, I think we could almost argue that we're in a recession right now. Yep. Uh, but uh, but anyway, everybody's talking about this for for a year and a half now, and you get sick of hearing it. We're going to have it. Let's have it, and let's get to, and, and let's get it, it over with. Yeah, and let's let's start working on the other side. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah aside from being painful for a lot of people the topic gets so boring when all the cable news shows talk about is there going to be a recession there might be we're getting closer than they had i think paul shooter jones that legendary trader was the latest saying oh we could have a recession this year okay where did i hear that one before just let's get it over with that's your point let's move on
2: yeah, I mean, Stan Druckenmiller, who is one of the best, uh, you know, money managers in the country, he, he said, we're definitely having one. I mean, there's uh, all, all sorts of people who sent now saying we're definitely having one. All right, well, then let's have it, let's have <laughs> get over it and, and get to work and to reverse it.
1: Yeah, yeah, you'll be doing the uh, Fed's work, I'm sure. Dick, let's look at housing. You've looked at the numbers and I suppose in some ways there's no surprise with the way the trend has gone giving the higher interest rate environment and even the slowdown in the economy. I'll just do a quick summary. The case Schiller Index uh, showing a, a slowdown in price rises in the year to February 2022, price rises were up over 20% year over year. Uh, February 2023, they were up just 2%. Median prices of homes in the US uh, in March 2022 was 385,400. That's the median. And in March 2023, it dropped to 380,000. Mortgage rates, March 2022, 4.24%. And then March 2023, five four percent. This is the number that I found caught me. This is from your research. Um monthly costs of housing March 2022, um again they're nationwide 1515 and March 2023 1929. That's a difference of four hundred and fourteen dollars. And so for higher end homes the numbers become quite quite substantial uh, in scope and scale.
2: Yeah, no. Uh, th- those numbers are, are surprising in one respect, and that is that uh, the the cost, the monthly cost of living in a house, has gone up even as the cost of the house has gone down. But obviously, the reason for that is the big increase in the uh, mortgage rate. In other words, the mortgage rate is up fifty percent from where it was a year ago, and that increase in the mortgage rate applied to the same value. House is a much bigger monthly payment, and that causes affordability to decline. The National Association of Realtors, that uh, put that puts out a lot of these numbers, basically uh, indicated that a year ago, um, you know, the affordability index was over 100%, which meant that it was easy to buy a house, and now it's under 100%, which means that uh, there's an increasing number of people who can't afford it. And if you marry that data. To what i said about the banks tightening up the uh the credit standards in other words asking for bigger down payments you know not allowing um subprime borrowers to borrow money at all telling jumbo uh you know jumbo mortgage uh, holders that they don't want to roll over those mortgages you know with all of those things happening it would appear that housing is still in trouble even though i've heard a number of people saying well this morning on the business television that uh, housing has bottomed, but we'll, we'll see because the, the the new housing numbers will be out, uh, you know, from from National Association of Realtors uh, tomorrow, and and we'll see if in fact you know housing starts are up, down, or sideways. I'm assuming they'll be sideways, but
1: uh you know, we just said before we, we started to record how even today in some markets you'll have uh, uh, cash offers for homes. Uh, there's a shortage in some markets of uh, of housing? I think
2: even that's changed. In other words, what you'll find—I mean, I, I'm in Tampa, so I only have a very small picture on the world—is that a year ago they would make cash offers for houses that were selling in the jumbo category, you know, the the ones at eight, nine, hundred thousand, a million. Um, and now they don't make cash offers for million-dollar homes anymore. Uh, they they don't want them. Uh, they're only making cash offers for houses which are more in the four hundred to five hundred, maybe three hundred to five hundred thousand dollar range. So ev- even that part of the market has has adjusted downward.
1: Dick, if you're to take a broad overview, and we've asked you this in different ways, I'll try it another way. You know, the overall big picture for the banking industry seems to me the jp morgan's the new central bank of america and the top three or four big banks versus the small well the top three or four are in a are they in a sweet spot despite all the uh kind of sense of doom and gloom that's in the air um they're getting all these deposits and they're sitting on a cash hoard whereas the smaller banks and the regionals are probably saying to themselves gosh i wish the recession was over and interest rates started to come down well, yeah,
2: but, but don't believe that the big banks are, are, are not in trouble, because they are. I mean, essentially, they're in the same boat as the uh, regionals. Um, and, and again, if you take off the table, you know, how many banks are going to fail? Obviously, some banks are going to fail. You know, y- you'll you lose 100 banks this year, and that won't be unusual. So so the fact is that th- that part of the market is not, you know, doing well and probably never will. But the um, the big banks are not taking in deposits. Uh, you know, Bank of America did not show an increase in deposits. Wells Fargo did not show an increase in deposits. And if you take a look at uh, JP Morgan, they showed an increase in deposits on a quarter-over-quarter quarter basis, but on a year-over-year year basis, their deposits were down. And if you look at the weekly stats that come out, you know, uh, every, actually Friday Friday night after the market closes, you'll see that uh, deposits are still falling in the nation overall. So. I know, deposits are going away everywhere. If the resolution to this debt crisis issue is that the government's going to have to borrow a lot more money very quickly once they decide what they're going to do, then, you know, basically the government's going to push interest rates up, forget the Fed, and more, more deposits will move out of the banks toward, you know, owning treasuries or owning, you know, uh, Federal Reserve deposits. So, so the net effect is we, we are far away from any resolution to the banking crisis. If we think about it in terms of, are these companies going to earn more money? And, and this is not, I mean, everybody likes to use this term, idiosyncratic, basically meaning that, you know, this is a one-off situation with S- Silicon Valley Bank. It's a one-off situation with First Republic. It, it, it isn't. Uh, it's, it's an, it, it is a systemic problem. The systemic problem is very clear. Interest rates are going up, raising the cost of the raw material money for all banks. Interest rates are going up, which reduces the value of the uh, assets which all banks hold. The Federal Reserve is losing, and this people don't believe this, but it's true, it, they, their reports show it. They lose $7 million an hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. That's $15 billion a quarter or $60 billion on a full year if it continues. That's a systemic problem. The FDIC, it does not have enough money to take care of all of the obligations which they've currently taken on. That's a systemic problem. You know, the the economy is slowing, you know, based upon all the things we just said. So the amount of loans out there to be made are, are, are coming down. That's a systemic problem. None of these systemic problems have gone away nobody has come up with any resolution as to how you know these things can be resolved obviously dropping interest rates would resolve them but that would mean a recession you know which would create bigger loan losses so you know basically the banks are still in trouble and in 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 our business everybody looks at what warren buffett is doing right and he he um Basically, he filed his 13F, which shows what his holdings are. And and again, if we just take a look at the banking sector of his holdings, you know, he's he got out of U.S. Bank Corp. He uh, reduced his holdings, eliminated his holdings at Bank of New York Mellon, or BNY Mellon, as they call it now. So so the net, the net effect is even he's backing away. And by the way, I think, you know, anyone who listens to what he says about banking has got to be nuts, because even though... You know, he's the most brilliant investor in, in, the, in the United States. The fact is, he's always been a horrendous investor when it comes to banks. Uh, basically, at one point, a number of years ago, five of the top 10 of his holdings were banks, and he had to sell them because he wasn't getting money in them. He ran into a disaster with Wells Fargo. For some reason, he had no clue as to what was going on there, which is be- beyond my comprehension, given the fact that everyone who analyzed the bank saw it, knew it, was told about it even before, well before the government was. But Warren Buffett didn't see it. All right. He's got a million shares, uh, I'm sorry, a billion share, a billion shares of Bank of America, you know, and he's just lost money on it. He bought twenty-two million apparently in the first quarter, but I mean the, the guy has got he's got a billion shares of of this company. The, the stock keeps going down in price. I mean it's selling at the same level as it sold in nineteen ninety five, and he just bought and bought twenty-two million. Also, next thing is you know he, he bought you know Capital One, and he bought um, Ally uh, Financial. Which means he's making a big bet on the consumer side of the financial industry, which is exactly the opposite of the way we think it's going to work. So, um, there's still a great deal of confusion concerning baking. There's no clear uh, understanding of when the industry is going to start seeing earnings growth again and and you know, I don't think the stocks are going to do well. Uh, and, and again, let me say that this is something that we've written about often in our reports. so we're not making any statement or claim that we haven't uh, t- attempted to justify in any every way we can. but I, I don't see why bank stocks should do well going forward at this point.
1: Well, just to reiterate something you said and um, try to understand it a little better, you're saying the FDIC does not have enough funds, reserves to bail out the banking industry if there was um, another run on the banks. But won't the U.S. government, Uncle Sam, seems to be ready to do the heavy lifting now just based on what happened at SVB? Where are
2: they going to get the money? Well, that's that's the... <laughs> In other words, we're talking, of, <laughs> we're printed, talking about... are I suppose. Yeah, we're talking about defaulting on the debt uh you know and we can't come to a decision as to whether they're going to default on the debt um are they well, going to come up with 150 billion which is what they did in the snl crisis are they going to come up with 150 billion to bail out the banks no way they they can't they're not going to do it so so, the, so
1: you're saying dick day will step aside and let banks fail going forward if there's a whole series of runs and it seems to be just to put it in context the regionals, although you're saying the the majors also have their own issues now.
2: Yeah, well, the majors have always had the same issues as the regionals. It's just that for some reason the press decided that the majors were benefiting because J.P. Morgan got a lot of uh, deposits in in the first quarter, but they were the only bank where that happened. It did not happen at the other big banks. So, so the net effect is um, the issue is where will whoever is going to save the banking industry, get the money to save the banking industry? And the answer to that is definitely not the U.S. government, definitely not the Federal Reserve, definitely not the FDIC. It's the banks themselves. In other words, you know, the banks are going to have to do what they did before we had a Federal Reserve system. If you go back to the – we had – big recessions in 1873, 1883, 1893, 1907, all right? There was no Federal Reserve. And the way the banks protected themselves is they pooled their money and protected each other to keep the system from falling apart. Uh, and, And they didn't succeed at that fully, but obviously that's what they've got to do again. And that's what they did a couple of months ago. In other words, a couple of months ago, The thought was that the Federal Reserve stepped in and bailed out the banking industry. Didn't do it. The Federal Reserve loaned money to the banking industry, but they did not loan their own money to the banking industry. They got $440 billion from wealthy banks, and they loaned that money to the poor banks in the banking industry and to this point if you go through the federal reserve figures very closely very carefully you can see that the federal reserve has not loaned 15 cents to any bank in the United States uh, in the last 3 months the fed the federal deposit insurance corporation the fdic they've come up with money and that's their problem because they had 129 billion in reserves i think I think that they've spent a hundred of that already, which means that they've got about 29 billion left. If I'm right, and and I don't have inside information, so I don't know if I'm right or not. It's my estimate. Uh, and they've made these commitments to cover 80% of the losses at some of the banks that went under you know, to to allow JP Morgan to take over First Republic or to allow First Citizens to take over Silicon Valley, they promised that they would cover a certain number of the losses. So where are they going to get the money to do that?
1: So you're saying it's coming from the banking sector itself. The banking sector will help. It's not going to come from the government, you're saying.
2: It's not going to come from the government because the government doesn't have the money and government doesn't have the desire.
1: I, I I feel that you you mentioned just a moment ago the debt ceiling talks is also injecting fear into the financial system and when we come out of that and it gets resolved, which we hope it does, and if it doesn't, then my gosh, yeah, we have a global recession or something. But um, the ceiling now is thirty one point four trillion. And, uh, both sides have been talking and uh, you describe it as a whole circus, a clown show there in Washington to go through this whole ritual and sort it out. Um, it's injecting a lot of anxiety into the system, Dick.
2: Yeah, not as much as it's going to. In other words, right now, everybody has made the assumption that, um, you know, this is just another political ploy. Uh, it's going to be resolved, you know uh, by June 1st and and the, the system's going to go forward as if uh, nothing happened but a lot of conversation. Only this it doesn't look like this time that's what's going to happen. Uh, you know, the Speaker of the House is very clear in saying that uh, neither side has moved in their positions. I mean the, the, the president, the economic, the head of the economic advisors, you know, the Secretary of the Treasury, they all say it's going to be worked out, that we're moving closer. But the Speaker of the House says, no, 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 it's not going to be worked out because we haven't gotten any closer whatsoever. In, in my view, what will happen on June 1st is that, you know, the Congress will vote an extension to July 4th. And then, you know, what will happen on July 4th, they'll vote an extension to Labor Day. All right. But they're, they're, they're not in, in a mood. I mean, there is a lot of Republican congressmen who believe strongly that we should test what happens if the United States defaulted on its debt. They have no clue as to what they're thinking or saying, but they, they are saying clearly, we want to see what happens. We want to see when they default on the debt, just to see, you know, what the results are, we'll, whether it's going to be as bad as anybody says. And, you know, hopefully in a few minutes, we'll talk about the Chinese situation.
1: Yeah, I'm going to do that, but just 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 to quickly um, sign off on the debt ceiling talks. We did have some near misses in recent history, but we got it resolved when there was actual shutdown of government buildings, staff were sent home and uh, probably payments were missed even. So we could be facing a similar situation or even worse this time around.
2: Yeah, well, because in that period, the people when they shut down the buildings and they sent the people home, they continued to pay the interest on the debt. They continued to roll over the debt, so they didn't miss payments on the debt. Uh, people lost their job. Well, they didn't even lose their jobs because the salary that they missed was given back to them when they came back to work. But you know, th- there is a strong belief, according to the reports coming from Washington, that the Republican. People in the House of Representatives want to test what happens if we default, if it's really going to be as bad as people say. Now, obviously, if we test the default, people don't get the Social Security checks, people lose their jobs, you know, are put out of work, the government you know, can't, can't afford to hire them we can't have uh you know we have planes flying in the air all yeah. over the yeah. world all the time as part of the defense you know protection of the nation they have to be grounded because there's not enough fuel we can't buy the fuel for them we can't put the planes up in the air and that's only the beginning it it, it that's not even touching what happens in the financial system because you know loans are based upon treasury yields, it's I mean, we could talk about this for a half hour, all the things that will go wrong.
1: Yeah, well, we're in mid May and uh, we'll see if we'll come back to it and watch it very closely. Um, but it's extraordinary, it
2: is extraordinary, and and again, I, I really believe it's a clown show because if these clowns realize what they're dealing with, uh, which apparently they do not, playing politics with the health of the U.S. financial system, economy, and the American people to play political games with the health of those three things. It is so unacceptable. It's unreal. These guys are truly clowns.
1: Dick, I wish we had Matt with us to weigh in on, on this um, particular item and uh, you, you've done some great research. I'm going to lead into it and sort of summarize some of your key points and then ask you to give us where you're going on this and where eventually you see this settling because it's quite it's quite disturbing uh, uh, on its face and it has implications for just the whole geopolitical situation and where world trade is and the politics of the US versus uh, east and west and we're referring here to China and a quick summary here China joined the World Trade Organization early in this century which opened up China as a preferred place to build products to be sold worldwide and was, I suppose, widely applauded. Manufacturing grew rapidly in China, but its financial muscle didn't follow along at the same pace. So China invited the best bankers in the globe to come in. These bankers took sizable minority positions in every major Chinese bank. Millions of shares were sold to American and Swiss investment bankers. Then there was this growing trade surplus in China resulted in trillions of dollars building up in the People's Bank of China, known as the PBOC. The U S and Swiss bankers showed Chinese bankers how to invest this money worldwide. And there's estimates of 6 trillion you have in your notes. And I, this spending refers to, I presume the Belt and Road Initiative. You seem to be suggesting now we're at some kind of a turning point by the time of the Great Financial Recession that China bought back virtually every dollar of investments the Americans made in the country's banking system. And China now had the world's largest bank and the fear is that it will displace the dollar and not only that it will just um undermine a lot of the things we did take for granted in the global financial system why are you writing about it right now and why did you sort of dig into these details
2: well basically uh, i'm being told that um and, and i have calls into some of the major companies who are, are in in china just to get their opinion but i'm being told that right now uh, there is this huge wave of firings uh, being done by American companies that have operations in China: Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, uh, and, and Swiss banks, UBS, Credit Suisse. I'm being told it has not been confirmed to me by these companies at all, but I'm being told that they're firing people at a rate that has never been seen before. The um, the, the, the Chinese reporter who told me this basically uh, said that in 23 years, she's never seen so many people fired by American uh, investment bankers in the country. And she, she's positing that it's a political issue. You know, the, the, the conflict between the United States and, and China politically is, is the reason for it. But I don't think that's the reason at all. In fact, I don't think it has anything to do with it at all. I think it has everything to do with dollars versus uh yuan or renminbi or whatever you want to call their their, their currency and the evolution which y- you know, you you described you know is exactly as you said the first step is they join the world trade organization well let me step back further you have to understand that China Russia India you know uh, Union of South Africa, you know, Brazil, don't like the fact that the dollar is the world's reserve currency, and there is no other reserve currency. It gives the United States too much political power. It gives the United States overwhelming financial power. The the United States can sanction whoever whoever it wants, whenever it wants, uh, Iran, North Korea, you know, uh, Russia, you know, and, and those countries cannot get access to the world's financial system. They, because they can't they can't use dollars because they can't get dollars and anyone who gives dollars to them the united states will sanction all right so th- th- that's totally unacceptable it's fine to me because i'm an american but it's totally unacceptable to the people in these countries and they have taken starting 25 years ago the road to destroy the united states ability to do this and and you know every time i talk about it it's always the same argument no it can't happen it can't happen warren buffett said you know since we're talking about him he said in his meeting last week uh he just doesn't see any other currency in the global uh you know global economy which again leads me to the belief this guy really knows how to pick stocks and evaluate companies but he knows zip about the financial system and he knows zip about about banks but the point is they started with the first step, join the World Trade Organization. They join it in 2002, and that means now that everybody can trade with China, uh, and, and China has the lowest cost labor, so China all of a sudden gets all this manufacturing prowess and, and, and becomes the biggest manufacturer in the world. All right, once they're the manufacturer, everybody's pouring money into China. In other words, the money is flowing in from all the goods which are being produced, you know, in that country and are being sold here. And again, this is not a short explanation, but think about it this way. You you go buy, uh, you know, a product that was made in China. You pay for it in dollars. The dollars are sent to the manufacturer in China. What are they going to do with the dollars? They can't do anything with it because they're building the thing in China. They need one. So they take the dollars and they give them to the, the People's Bank of China. People's Bank of China, therefore, builds up, I think it's $5 trillion uh, in, in surplus, uh, you know, in dollars. And, and of course, the, they, they transfer the dollars for one. They give one to the manufacturers so that they can operate in China. But the, But the point is now China has all this money. What is it going to do with it? Well, he can't, it can't use it in China either, so it goes around the world to 150 countries if the uh, Kiel Institute in Germany is correct and if Harvard is correct, and they, they lend these dollars to 150 countries, and supposedly they'll, they've loaned, and, and again, nobody knows the exact number, but again, Kiel Institute data would suggest it's $6 trillion. So now, you know, how, how do they do that? what is the mechanism whereby they lend the money well they don't know how to do it so they bring in the american bankers and they tell the american bankers you know build a business here in china you know we'll we'll let you do whatever you want to to uh, expand in our country but you know you're going to have to explain to us since you you are a minority holder of of uh, you know industrial bank of china or China Agricultural Bank, et cetera, et cetera. So you you've got to teach us how to do this stuff, how to do investment banking, how to do this lending, how to you know lend out this money around the world. So the investment bankers, all of them, rush to China. Uh, they were given this stock at low price in in these banks, and they start and they teach the Chinese how to do it. So now Chinese have the export. import import imbalance. They've got this trade surplus. The money flows into China, winds up in the People's Bank of China. The People's Bank of China basically has a controlling interest in the five largest bank in the world. Every one of the top five banks in China are bigger than JP Morgan Chase, five biggest banks in the world. All right. So they've got the money. Now they got the expertise. So why do they need the Americans anymore? They don't. So they buy them out. They buy the shares out, and, and the Americans are now out. And now the Americans are sitting with these little businesses in China, uh, which are going no nowhere because the Chinese don't need dollars, and they don't need these American banks. So in my view, the American banks, what I'm being told is true, that the American banks are going to pull out of this country, and this country is going to exert even more financial power than it has in the past. So I think that all the people who have been telling me for 20 years that this will never happen, Warren Buffett saying just last weekend, it will never happen. It is happening. It's happening right under his nose. It's happening daily. Transactions in China are being done in yuan. Russia is using yuan. Supposedly, they're using more yuan than dollars to do transactions in Russia. You know, the people in South Africa don't want to use dollars. The people in Brazil have already, you know, opened up a line to start doing business in yuan, not dollars. What they said won't happen is happening, and it is not going to be
1: good for the United States. I just want to pick you up on a few things, Dick, just back to what you were saying, the um, layoffs or the bankers that are getting fired in mass in China. Um, So you heard that from a Chinese reporter. Right. Uh, And any sense of the scale of it? Like, was it a few or like it was, it sounds like a mass firing. And
2: Well, that's what she's saying. In other words, and she doesn't speak English too well, and I don't speak Chinese at all. But, you know, the information that she provided me would suggest that this is not a minor event. This is a major event. It is not a few people. Uh It, it is a major reduction in the presence of these American companies in China. I mean, think about it. You know, when, you know, Citigroup bought its piece of uh, minority, a piece in, in a couple of banks in China, uh, they had these goals, which they stated, they talk to all investors about of how they were going to open retail banks all over china yeah they were going to gather you know renminbi and they were going to you know operate as a chinese bank well they don't have any position in china at all anymore in terms of retail banking they they are an investment bank in china they don't have their investment in the pudong bank and the other bank was in Guangzhou. I I don't know how to pronounce it, the words in Guangxi or whatever it is. But, you know, they're not in either one of those banks. And, and, and this is
1: politically motivated. Your Was that the sense that because of the tensions now between U.S. and China and all the spats that have been going on?
2: That's the reporter's view. That is not my view. It is yeah. not my view at all. Mm. My view is the Chinese had a problem. They needed to know how to deal with all the dollars that they had gotten as a result of their trade surplus. They know how to do it. Yeah. So now they're saying, well, what do we need you guys for? That Nothing to do with politics. It's I, if I need you, if I need dollars, don't need you anymore. Right. But if I, in the future, if I run into a major recession or what have you, and I need dollars, you can come back. You'll grow your business. If I don't need dollars, I don't want to use dollars. What the heck do I need you for? And that's why I believe this reporter is correct. And I believe you're going to see some reports soon indicating, you know, what, what is going to happen uh, to, you know, American investment banking businesses
1: mm-hmm. inside of China. The five or six trillion, whatever the number is of China's surplus, the recycling, I guess, that that money around the globe in this Belt and Road initiative, so I know you're going to watch China very closely, Dick, and you're going to pay particular attention to the banking side. It's noteworthy that it's getting close, that China is still not regarded as a high-income country. Just visit the vast interiors. But according to um, the World Bank's numbers, the national GDP per capita in China reached 12,741 last year. Just slightly below the World Bank's threshold of 13205 um to be considered a high-income country. It, it's getting up there. It's getting up there to be regarded as a high-income country. But I wonder about that. Maybe you have some thoughts. I mean, it seems to be very concentrated wealth um, in the cities. I, I think there's vast amounts of poverty and underreported poverty. We certainly know there's oppression of all kinds.
2: I think people keep wanting to fight what I'm saying, all right, as you just did. All right, so the point is, you know, you know what, was the, what was the per capita income of China, you know, in 2002? Has it grown faster or slower than the per capita income in the United States? If you adjust the two nations to comparable, uh, if you will, currencies, who's got the bigger economy? Is it the United States or is it China? Who's doing most of the exporting? Who's got most of the increase in uh, dollar surplus? You know, you know th- these things are happening, and they're happening daily. The latest trade st- uh, figures that were put out last week said, I think that the, the trade China had a ninety billion dollar trade surplus for the month of uh, March. Um, do we have a ninety billion dollar trade surplus? No, we-, we have a deficit with virtually every country in the world. We don't have it does a company country that has a huge trade surplus which is manufacturing most of the world's product is that in a weaker position because they're earning $12,000 there and we're earning, you know, $80,000 here and, and and I saw a number of 90,000 recently per family But we have a trade deficit. We borrow everything. We are fighting like crazy in in, uh, Washington over whether we're going to default on it. They're not thinking about defaulting on the debt in China. They're talking about defaulting on the debt in the United States. They're not talking about a trade uh, surplus problem in China. They're talking about it in the United States. So who is getting stronger? Who is getting weaker? And as long as people think, That because it's the United States, you know, they'll never catch us. We'll lose. It's when they start getting afraid and understanding the risk that's coming at them that we will start to will start to react in a proper fashion. Which, to my way of thinking, hasn't happened
1: yet. Well, you do get the impression that America is a nation in decline, you know, sadly, and China is a nation on the rise. I wouldn't bet on China. I don't think it's totalitarian system of governance is i think that engine runs dry eventually and um the engine I heard that is,
2: run dry is democracy that's hmm? the engine that's run dry in america everywhere in other words what we're seeing around the world is country by country having experimented with democracy
1: rejecting it we, the, we go through those cycles dick I, I to be sure i mean we had that during the uh leading into the First World War, interwar period, and then we had rise of fascism. Democracy became, I guess, corrupt, or it failed, and then it was reinvented. And I think we're going through something like that at the moment. We're at a, a terrible moment in history, by some telling.
2: Yeah, well, we're at a moment in history where the United States has got to, uh, you know, reinforce its belief in democracy, where the United States has got to... Uh, and I think that'll be done if the second thing I say is correct. It's got to become a manufacturing hub for the world again. That's why the United States became so powerful in the late 1800s and into the 1900s, because we 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 were the manufacturing hub of the world. So if if we go back to that, if we beat China, not militarily, not financially, but in the manufacture of goods and services, which the rest of the world buys, we will win. If we don't do that, if we continue to think that using my the example I always use, that buying the next apple um earphone or the next Apple iteration is is the best thing that we can do in the United States, you know then you know we're sunk. you know, but w- I don't think we are a nation in decline. I think we're a nation that is losing its ground relative to other nations like China. But I I definitely do not think we're a nation in decline.
1: Let me nuance it, because this is a wonderful, beautiful country, and I'm very pro-American. It's in decline maybe at this moment in time, but the ship can be turned around. I would certainly concur on that level.
2: Yeah, but everything we said earlier about a recession was it may happen. We're not in recession yet. We're not in decline. You know, we've got more people working than we've ever had working in the United States before. Our unemployment rate is at incredibly low levels. You know, we have a democratic system which works, despite what people may think. And and the fact of the matter is we are not in decline, but we are not growing at the rate that China is growing in terms of the the elements that I mentioned you know the, the use of the dollar versus the the one manufacturing capability you know uh, you know export uh, surplus that stuff that's that's where we've got to reinforce our if you will dominance our superiority and we, I don't think we're thinking about doing that
1: that that decline can be arrested to be sure and we are you know the leading Democracy in the world, strongest economy in the world. But, okay, we have a national debt of 31.4 trillion. We're trying to raise the debt ceiling. We have uncontrolled borders. We do need immigrants. Um, We have unfunded liabilities, multiple trillions of debt owed elsewhere, um, a demographic disaster on our hands, uh, inner cities and parts of America crumbling, uh, which...
2: We have problems, you're right. We have a lot of problems, but so does not every other country. And we handle these problems better than every other country, as as evidenced by the fact that, you know, people are working, their incomes are growing, they're spending huge amounts of money. So, you know, yeah, of course, you you never, there's no part of American history in which we we didn't have massive problems. You know, that's that's the nature of of this, this country. But but we, we have handled them, and we continue to handle them. Uh, it's just that this is the new challenge, and we're not meeting that challenge. That's different than saying we're in decline, or we're in mess, or all this other stuff. You know, the United States is still the best place in the world by far.
1: It's a great country. You have a note uh, that uh, Bloomberg said uh, Bank of China handled 33% of the offerings this year so far off the Far East loan market. Yeah, well,
2: that's yeah, that's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that, you know, J.P. Morgan, you know, used to handle, you know, the bulk of that business for China. And now J.P. Morgan, I think, is 35th in terms of handling uh, leveraged loans in the Far East because China's just booted them out. They didn't boot them out politically, they booted them out because they have more money, they have the stuff that, the, uh, that these other countries need uh, to a greater extent, and therefore J.P. Morgan simply lost, lost market share.
1: Yeah, just quickly on that, Dick, will, 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 that, will that be disclosed um, at earnings reports or in, that, or in footnotes, uh, what's going on in China with the, the big banks uh, having to pull staff?
2: No, uh, it will be reported pretty widely if uh, if this lady who has been debating the subject with me for the last week goes forward with what she's telling me.
1: Because it, these these it, aren't verified it, reports right now. Right. These are just horror what she's saying. Right. That's right. OK. If, if you know,
2: if what she's saying is correct and she's verified it, then it'll be all over the
1: press everywhere. Sounds like it could be hundreds of bankers. Uh, we're almost at a time, Dick. Just this will put a maybe put a smile on our face. Um, inflation in the U.S. versus Europe versus South America. Inflation now in the U.S. is below five percent, as measured by the CPI at four point nine percent for the twelve months ended April. Argentina annual. I just saw this report. You yeah, annual yeah, inflation rate soared above one hundred percent last month. So the central bank came in and raised interest rates by six percentage points. I, I thought this was a typo, 97%? Uh, yeah. UK inflation hovering at 10%, EU is now at six point, nearly 7%. So we're doing something right, I hope.
2: Well, yeah, I think what the Federal Reserve is doing is, is correct. We're working hard to kill inflation, and I think they're going to succeed at doing that. Uh, Now, I I think that, uh, you know, we've mentioned often in the last year or so that we've been doing this, um, that once the interest rates are higher than the inflation rate, the Fed should stop because they don't need to to tighten any longer because, you know, basically, you know, the, the lenders are making money on making loans. And we have reached that point. We take a look at, at the Fed funds versus the CPI, you know, we've reached that point. Yeah. So, so the net effect is, I think it's time for the Fed to stop. I think the Fed will stop. Uh, and I think that, you know, that we will somehow get beyond this stuff, this, this uh, clown show in, in Washington, and we will, we'll start to get to work as a nation again. And, and that's what's required
1: yeah and just for people overseas or whoever any listeners say currently the interest rate in the us is in the range of five to five point two five percent following the recent 25 basis point increase so let's get the clown show over let's get back to business and keep this country going yeah exactly exactly (laughs) we're out of time uh we miss matt he'll be back soon and uh we'll be back next week for episode 70 and until then take care
0: Current and future holdings are subject to risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Information presented herein is for discussion and illustrative purposes only and is not a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Securities identified do not represent all of the securities purchased, sold, or recommended to clients. The views and opinions expressed by the Odeon Capital Group speaker are their own as of the date of the recording. Any such views are subject to change at any time based upon market or other conditions and Odeon Capital Group disclaims any responsibility to update such views. These views should not be relied on as investment advice, and because investment decisions are based on numerous factors, may not be relied on as an indication of trading intent on behalf of any Odeon Capital Group product. Neither Odeon Capital Group nor the speakers can be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.